Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. Amazingly, just five days to go until the election. Well, of course, uh, you know, every, every day is the election these days. So I wrote in my newsletter this morning, sort of little little dialogue. You know, Grandpa, did you know it was going to happen in 2020? Did you actually see it coming? So what were you thinking was going to happen the week before the election? Um, well, I'm, I'm glad my future self-grandchild asks that because I was, you know, I've been keeping a journal of the year. And um, so my entry on October 29th has lots and lots of polls, lots and lots of charts and caveats and all the coy punditry of, well, you know, he could win and everything. But I wrote down the words feeling kind of jiggy. <laughs> written in pretty in pretty big letters today. You're looking at these polls and across the board, I mean, unless this is the worst polling disaster ever, which of course is always possible, but um, you're looking at double digit leads. Uh, basically, Trump is losing every place he absolutely has to win. Yes, there are some close numbers in some of these polls, uh, in some of the swing state polls, but I, I just want to read the uh, Cook Political Reports uh, Amy Walter, who who breaks this down. Four years ago, Trump won 30 states and Maine's second congressional district. And so he got 306 electoral votes. You look at the map today, uh, Trump has just 20 states with 125 electoral votes that are safely in Trump's column, 125. Biden is holding 24 states worth about 290 electoral votes. So what does that mean? It means to win the election, Trump has to run the table. He needs to win every single state that Cook currently has in the toss-up column. He has to win them all. Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Iowa, Ohio, Maine 2nd Congressional District, as well as their newest addition, because Cook has moved Texas into a toss-up category. And even if he does that, even if he wins every single one of those toss-up states, he'd still be 22 electoral votes short. So he'd have to win at least two of the seven states that are lean Democrat at the moment. He has to win at least two of these, Arizona, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Nevada, and New Hampshire. Uh, Trump carried uh, all but Minnesota, Nevada, and uh, New Hampshire back in 2016. So, you know, you're, you're looking at these various numbers here, and, you know, nothing is, of course, definitive, but NBC Marist poll, uh, shows Biden ahead by four points in Florida. 538 puts him at a two-point edge in Florida in the Sunshine State. Uh, this comes the day after we have a poll ahead of, uh, with Biden leading in Michigan by eight points. Wisconsin by five, the more reliable. Forget the 17.1, seriously. And then you have the, this poll out of Georgia, which would suggest a shift to the Democrats. So um, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty clear picture course there's a lot of the unknowns you know we have 76 million americans who've already voted uh we have the questions of the mail-in ballots what are they going to do in the courts how much vote suppression is there going to be we, we just don't know any of those things but i i think if you're looking back um after the election to the thursday before the election there were a lot of signals that things were going in the right way. Well, so what else is going on here? We have uh, Tucker Carlson amazingly uh, loses his homework and talks about it on on the air. We have another record number of uh, coronavirus cases. Anonymous comes out. It turns out Anonymous is actually, this is the guy that wrote the New York Times op-ed piece and then the book uh, warning about Trump. Uh, it turns out he's actually been on the podcast and he wasn't that anonymous. We can talk about that a little, a little bit uh, later. But to, to break all of this down, is somebody who has been spending an inordinate amount of, of time 
watching the final days of the Trump campaign. Will Salatin of Slate Magazine joins us once again. Will, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Hey, it's great to be with you, Charlie. Why do you do this to yourself? <laughs> uh, look, I am actually enjoying it. Uh, so you were talking about being jiggy right now. Yeah, yeah. Charlie, I have been jiggy for weeks, for weeks and weeks. I am the only person I know who is like, now, I am an optimist by nature. Just to be clear, I hate Donald Trump. He's a bad person. So I I want him to lose. And he is doing that for me. Um, he, uh, I, I, first of all, uh, the polls that you're citing, it's been going that way for a long time. It's just that now it's getting too close for it to change that significantly. By this point, Hillary was already starting to implode, um, or Trump at least was beginning to rise. So that's just not happening. But I have been listening to Trump rallies, which none of my friends can stand, which my colleagues can't stand, because what I hear is a bad man slowly dying, and he knows he's dying. And he's banging on the inside of his coffin as the dirt is falling on him. That is what I hear all the time. If you listen to him, he's talking about the journey we've been on, the this bad era of big tech that's uh, somehow oppressed him. It's been unfair to him, all the great things he's done. But he's that Joe Biden doesn't really want it. He's begging. He's begging to be allowed to live, and it's not happening. And I am experiencing what I don't want to admit to it, but... It is, it is schadenfreude. I am enjoying his suffering. This has clearly lasted for more than four hours for you, Will. <laughs> I, I mean, it, so the, the, the interesting thing about this is, uh, you know, and, and you can tell the frustration in his voice uh, that they're pushing the Bobulinski gambit. And there's just a level of, uh, of frustration on the right that is truly extraordinary, including we have, we have to mention the Tucker Carlson thing. He goes on Fox News and he says, we had the definitive documentation that would prove the manifest guilt of Joe Biden, but we lost it in the mail. <laughs> I mean, it's just, there's a Saturday Night Live routine about this. It is, it's got that whole, like, and we opened the vault and it was empty vibe to it. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of this. Tucker claims that his producer sent it. Like, it's not like some guy in Ukraine claims he sent it and we never got it. I mean, that would be a little bit easier. He's claiming that uh, I believe somebody he knows and has worked with had it in their hands. Now, of course, I believe there's no copy of it they're claiming. Anyway, no copy. No, I'll, I'll be very surprised. But to me, the larger problem is nobody cares. And they're blaming that on the media, right? The Trump mm -hmm. campaign and the right is blaming that on the media for not paying attention. Um, but Charlie, I keep thinking back to a hearing from 2017. It's a hearing on Capitol Hill about uh, they had, had the former presidents of Eastern European countries who all talked about what happened when Russia interfered in their elections. And they said the first time it worked and the second time nobody listened. And so I think we're Estonia. I think we've been through this before. We've heard sort of the last minute disinformation and we're just not going to fall for it again. Well, also the, the fact that in terms of vectors of disinformation, Vladimir Putin's got nothing on Donald Trump himself in terms of, you know, pushing out misinformation. So he actually, he actually got me thinking about this. Like, why are people not taking Rudy Giuliani and Steve Bannon seriously when they come up with mysterious laptops that they got from who knows what? And, you know, it, 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 maybe, maybe the farce that explains our, our period will be the Borat movie <laughs> that, that we have the guy from Kazakhstan. Very nice. Um, who who comes and scams Rudy Giuliani? Because you know that if Borat can scam Rudy Giuliani and get him into a compromising situation, what would an actual intelligence agency be able to do with this guy? 
Right. The, uh, the, uh, and I keep thinking also, uh, have you talked about the George Conway op-ed? Oh, I'd love to know. Go ahead. uh, So uh, George Conway wrote an op-ed a couple of days ago in the Washington Post. And it was, I believe it was, it was in the genre of, I am still with Donald Trump. We of course know that Mm -hmm. George Conway is not with Donald Trump and has been against him the entire time. So it's a parody of a Trumper. And one of the paragraphs in this insane uh, window into the, the mind of the diehard Trump supporter is, I believe that Hunter Biden uh, left his home in Los Angeles, flew to Philadelphia, and then took a train to Wilmington so that he could have a blind man, a legally blind man, investigate his laptop. Uh, I mean, there are yeah, sort of sure. levels to the to the insanity of these conspiracy theories that just make it laughable rather than something anyone want, would take seriously, certainly in the last days of an election. Well, the interesting thing is all the energy is right now on, on the right is aimed at the media for not covering this story and how terrible Twitter is. But let's just leave that aside because I'm still unclear what what the scandal is supposed to be. You know, I mean, I suppose it's that Hunter Biden tried to trade on his name uh, to make money. But a lot of the stuff, there's no evidence that it actually happened, that anything actually took place. And secondly, a lot of the stuff took place in 2017 after Joe Biden was no longer in public office. So it's one of those things like, you know, could you just articulate for me in one paragraph, you know, what this massive, you know, earth epic changing uh, scandal might be, and people don't even bother, which is why it's always better to go after the uh, go after the media. Okay, so you've been watching these rallies. There's, there's been a whole bunch of, of of great sound bites, including the stuff that he's been talking about with the coronavirus here in Wisconsin, which I want to talk about in in a in a minute. Um, I thought that the the moment at the Arizona rally yesterday, where he's introducing United States Senator Martha McSally, who is pretty much dead woman walking. She was she was defeated um, in 2018, appointed to the seat. She's about to be the first senator to be defeated twice in the same cycle. Um, But so she's there fighting for her political life. Big rally for all the Republicans. The president of the United States is is there. And this is this is this is how Trump introduces Mark, who, by the way, has done everything. I mean, she has sold herself in every conceivable way to make herself as Trumpian as possible. I mean, she's crawled on her knees through this campaign. And this is what she gets from the president. Martha, come up just fast. Quick, quick. Fast. Fast. Come on, quick. You got one minute. One minute, Martha's sake. They don't want to hear this, Martha. Come on, let's go. Quick, 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 quick. Come on, let's go. I'm coming. Thank you. Jeez. They've all signed up for the humiliation and it's being served now, isn't it, Will? Yeah. uh, If if Donald Trump were a book of the Bible, if his presidency or his uh, political uh, reign were a a book of the Bible, uh, the story would be that this sort of demonic figure was sent to earth uh, essentially to expose the moral squalor of so many people who were pretending to be serious uh, and and their willingness to be humiliated, their willingness to uh, cross moral boundaries. Um, so that in that case, at least Martha McSally is only exposing herself to be um, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm looking for a nice word. <laughs> the, the word that came to mind was bottom. Um, 
Yeah. You can't really say that on air, but, uh, you know, the abuse they're willing to take, but it's also what they're willing to do to others uh, to stand with Donald Trump. And that was enlightening to me. I, I wouldn't have guessed that many of these congressional Republicans uh, were as low as they turned no. out to be. Um, so that's part of the story. But the other part of the story is Donald Trump is he's part psychopath and he's part narcissist. And some people will say, okay, narcissism is a form of psychopathology, but um, the psychopath part of Trump is actually politically quite effective. He's really good at speaking to a crowd or speaking to people uh, on TV, who, people who are listening to him, who he's speaking to their worst instincts. He knows how to find your the buttons he can push. Who is it I can get you to hate? Because he's a, sorry, hang on a second. We just got a, a slack that came in. Uh, I might get another one. Let me Let me see if I can. I'm going to turn off the sound while I talk for a second. So I don't okay, okay. hear that little, let me see if I can turn off the slack. Uh, shit. Well, I'm going to, I'll just, I'll just talk here. And if I hear okay. another little tap, that's, that's the slack. Okay. Right. I didn't hear it. Right. Uh, okay. I think she's done now. All right. So let me just keep going here. Um, so Trump is really good at trying to figure out how to press your buttons. Who is it I can get you to hate? You know, you may be, you may live in Arizona, but let me tell you, there's this uh, woman in uh, a Somali uh, American in Minnesota who I can get you to hate. He's really good at doing that stuff. That helps him in a lot of ways attract more people to his vile base. But he's also a narcissist and the narcissism does not help him. The narcissism hurts him politically. I mean, it's a vice. Let's just stipulate that, but it hurts him. And so when... Shit. And so when he is on stage uh, at this rally and exposes how completely self-absorbed he is and how he is willing to abuse uh, people who are loyal to him, you know, standing at the microphone, he's not even holding the, he's not even covering the mic. He's just doing it for you. That exposes that he doesn't really care about you, care about anybody else. And he's really going to his grave in the last week of the election, exposing how little he cares about other people in general. And so why would you ever vote for this guy? Well, you know, yeah, I think that that's absolutely true. So there, there is a larger point to be made here, in, including for Republican elected officials. We'll talk about everybody else in, in a moment who have been willing to sacrifice so much for him, who've willing, been willing you know, to, to, to vote against having witnesses as impeachment, who have uh, up and down the line uh, either you know, ignored things that he said or supported his policies. And it's not breaking news that the president demands loyalty but gives none at all. But it's got to be a moment for a United States senator to realize, you know what, this guy is humiliating me. He's throwing me under the bus. Nothing that I have done has earned his loyalty. He feels no obligation to me whatsoever. And it, it's a little bit late for them to realize this. I mean, and, I'm, and I'm guessing that many of them have known this for some time, and yet they're just simply in, in too deep. Okay, so on the larger point, though, you, the, and I want to get Wait, into this. Okay, how, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go, 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 go with that. Can yeah. I can, all right. Sure. Can I throw in a, one sure. contrast to Martha McSally, which is Ben Sass, right? Uh, so Ben Sass. Uh, says on a call with supporters within the last week, I can't remember what day it was, uh, he describes in detail just how awful a person Donald Trump is. This then audio of this gets leaked. Donald Trump attacks Ben Sass. Donald Trump goes to Nebraska and talk. he's got Deb Fisher, the other senator there, and he talks about how she's, he's, Donald Trump is at a rally, okay, in the last week of his election, and he desperately needs more votes. You know, as you pointed out, he doesn't have enough states. He doesn't have enough support generally in the popular vote. Uh, so he needs more 
people. And what he is doing is he's going around attacking what he calls rhinos, by which he means any Republican who offends him in any way, who doesn't you know, swear loyalty in every respect. So he pointedly says at this rally in Nebraska, uh, Deb Fisher is my favorite senator from Nebraska. And Trump has done worse to other senators in other places, to Mitt Romney. Uh, but Ben, so so he's Trump thinks he is hurting Ben Sass by doing this. In reality, what he's doing is people like Sass are being given this gift by Trump, right? They're being given the gift of separation. And so if I were a Republican senator right now, I would want the Sass treatment and not the McSally treatment. That's interesting. That is that is interesting. And of course, Nebraska matters because they apportion their electoral votes via congressional district. And it certainly looks like he's going to uh, lose that the one congressional district around Omaha. By the way, speaking of fiascos, that uh, that that incident the other night where he jets in and then leaves all the people, you know, shivering in the cold. These were the these were the forgotten Americans. Remember, four years ago, he was going to be the voice of the forgotten Americans. And the other night, he forgot the forgotten Americans, and they're left behind. It it was. I'm I'm sorry. This has been a a, a year rich with metaphors. It's sometimes they're a little bit too on the nose. But there were there was a metaphor. Okay, so going back to Arizona and to the point you just made about the Ben Sass thing. So you you have Martha McSally, this image of Martha McSally sort of, you know, rushing up like, come on, Martha, come on, Martha. Nobody wants to hear you. Nobody gets to do you. Got, you get one minute. Apparently, Nigel Farage, this uh, right-wing figure from Britain, got longer, got more speaking time than the senator from, from, uh, from Arizona. But speaking of Arizona, and here's the flip side of this, because the Arizona Republican Party has not gone all in for Donald Trump. Um, I, I know that a lot of people were disappointed about with Jeff Flake, but Jeff Flake, I mean, look, I got to give this guy credit. He fell on his sword. He was willing to stand up early on, call Trump out at the risk of his entire political career. He's no longer a senator. Um, and he's cut an ad saying, you know, and, and Jeff, Jeff Flake is Jeff Flake is a solid conservative. He's he's been there, you know, from A to, you know, A to Z all along. And he's out there saying, I'm I'm going to vote for, for for Joe Biden. Let's let's play this spot from Jeff Flake, which, by the way, a few years ago would have been absolutely inconceivable. I've been voting since 1984 when I proudly cast my first ballot for Ronald Reagan. I've been a conservative Republican my entire life. I've never before voted for a Democrat for president. But this year, principle and conscience require me to do just that. I'm voting for Joe Biden. When you fill out your own ballot, ask yourself, who will best restore decency and civility to the White House? Who can I be proud to tell my children and grandchildren I voted for? My fellow Republicans, it's not easy going against the head of our party. Believe me, I know. But I also know that character, moral leadership, and integrity are values that we cannot put aside when we cast our vote for president. If we hold on to these values, our country will be better for it. And so will our party. And please, don't let anyone tell you that by casting your vote for Joe Biden, you are somehow not being conservative. This year, the most conservative thing you can do is to put country over party. That's what I'm doing. I hope you'll join me. Okay, that's... Uh... That's 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 pretty impressive. And I understand that people think that he should have done more, should have voted in a different way. But uh, there there have been a lot of Republicans who have broken with Trump, but haven't been willing to do what Jeff Flake just did there. Yeah. And actually, the word that stood out to me in his ad was character. So character is a thing that Republicans talked about in decades gone by um, when George 
H.W. Bush was, run, was running against Bill Clinton. Of course, they talked about character. And at the time, I, a good liberal, thought, you know, you guys are overrating this. It's just your code for, you know, social oppression or whatever. But it turns out they were right. Um, character is important. And so when somebody of truly bad character came along in the form of Donald Trump, turned out they weren't serious about it at all. Um, the Republicans who are serious about character are showing it now. And they were right because it turns out that character drives everything else. If you look at everything that Trump has done, that's bad, betraying his country with various foreign leaders, um, his sort of violations of human rights. Uh, he's basically violated all of the 10 commandments. One of his things on the campaign trail is keep the oil, uh, you know, it's theft, adultery, murder, whatever it is, you know, he doesn't really care. So it turns out that character really does matter, except Except um, for these, for some of these Republican politicians, and I'm looking at a poll that was done last week. Um, it's a, a CBS News poll. They asked Biden voters and Trump voters uh, what was a major factor in their vote for president, and one of the items was personal character. Eighty percent of Biden voters said it was important. Thirty-five percent of Trump voters. Isn't it? So it's really kind of dismaying to me that a party that talked so much about character and seemed to mean it. In the end, so many people don't. So I'm happy for, uh, I, I am happy to see people like Jeff Flake um, and you and others who are essentially leaving the Titanic of the R Trump Republican Party on, in a lifeboat to preserve things like character. So in terms of th these rallies that you have been talking about, you wrote a piece about Trump and you know, campaigning for the more coronavirus deaths. I find this a very striking image that he is he flew into Wisconsin and he mocked the coronavirus on the day that the state had a new record number of cases, hospitalizations and deaths. And he's coming back here uh, later this week. He's going to be campaigning in Green Bay while this thing is just exploding. And he seems to be absolutely locked into the this uh, we've turned the corner. It's going away. I beat it. This is just the media going COVID, COVID, COVID. All of this. It just strikes me as politically tone deaf, incredibly callous to what's actually happening. And as you write, dangerous because he's modeling this behavior. Now, let me just set this up because it was this remarkable exchange yesterday with one of the White House flacks, uh, Hogan Gidley. Gidley. Um, I know that a lot of people have already seen this, but I, but I wanted to, to cue this up. Uh, he's on CNN and, and asked about this specific problem of having these super spreader events in states with large numbers of coronavirus uh, inf uh, cases. Hospitals in Wisconsin are near capacity. And so is there does that give you any pause or the vice president any pause about going there and holding a big rally? Uh, no, it doesn't. The vice president has the best doctors in the world around him. They've obviously contact traced and have come to the conclusion it's fine for him to be out on the campaign trail. The American people have the right under the First Amendment to peaceably assemble, uh, too. The fact is we are seeing some good news about coronavirus. Oh, my. So, yeah, it's like uh, we're good. Don't matter about you people, but we're we're good. We're, we we got this handled. Of course, she's asking about: Are you worried about the people that might show up at these rallies? The fact that you might actually infect people, and it's like, no, no, no. The vice president and presumably the president. We we have we have we have good doctors. We're good. We're okay. Right, and of course, Trump's criticism of masks 
his argument is that they, they don't protect you when you wear them. Now, first of all, that's not true. But secondly, that's not the point, right? The point of the mask is to protect this thing called other people, which Trump seems not to understand and Hogan Gidley seems not to understand. And Trump himself, when he got COVID and recovered from it, then went out and told everybody, see, it's no problem. You get better. You're immune. Everything's cool. Well, yeah, it's cool if they take you in a helicopter to Walter Reed and all the best doctors in the country stand around you and make sure you get whatever you need right away. I mean, Trump is out there on the campaign trail telling people that he's going to get everyone else this Regeneron cocktail that he got. Well, newsflash, he can't do that. And the reason he can't do it is that he didn't take steps months ago as he would have needed to. This is something that Scott Gottlieb, his former FDA commissioner, has said. Trump needed to have done months ago got the ball rolling. He needed to have paid private industry to produce this cocktail, right? He didn't do it. And so we can't get enough supply for people. He's telling you you can have what he had. You can't. And it's never. it was never about you. It was about him. You know, and you make this point that rather than use his own infection as a lesson, Trump is telling Americans that masks are futile because some people who wear them get infected anyway. So there was a possibility that he might have used his own experience to show some empathy, to align himself with good medical practice. In fact, he's done exactly the opposite, hasn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's... Yeah, I mean, instead of talking, first of all, the lesson that he took from his infection was you get better and therefore everyone else will get better, failing, of course, to understand that uh, other people aren't going to get the same care that he got. In fact, there have already been articles about people who were in similar circumstances and either died or suffered terrible symptoms and have long-term consequences because they just didn't have the same medical care as, say, the president of the United States. But the other thing Trump has done is... He's instead of saying, look, I should have worn a mask. I got it more to the point. His wife and his son got it. Who do you think they got it from? He's not even talking about them. Um, It's like what I mean, there's various videos, of course, of Trump, like not paying attention to Melania walking away from her because Mm -hmm. she's another person. But instead of talking about his experience and how he regrets it, like Chris Christie, the former New Jersey governor, said, I should have worn a mask. Trump is instead saying, hey, look at Tom Tillis. Look at Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia. They wore masks and they got it anyway. So he's actually telling people exactly the wrong lesson, that some people who sometimes wore masks got the virus and therefore there's no point in you wearing a mask. So the really scary part about what's happening right now is that it seems more and more evident with every passing day that he has embraced this notion of the herd mentality, right? That that what we're just simply going to do is let the virus rage through the country. You know, people, yeah, some people are going to die. You got to break some omelets, et cetera. And that's how somehow we're going to get to immunity. But of course, the implications of that are that hundreds of thousands more Americans will die. And yeah. yet that, that seems to be, you know, he's kind of wait, you know, doing the magical thinking, hoping for the vaccine to come along. But in the meantime, we're going into the flu season with a president who basically goes, let her rip. Right. Now, the bet, of course, behind this herd immunity idea is that somehow the old people and the vulnerable people are going to stay right. uh, confined the entire time. 
he's, he's not saying that part about how you're in prison, you can't see your grandkids, because the strategy is we're going to let your grandkids and your kids run around because when they get infected, they're less likely to suffer consequences. As long as we keep them away from you, everything's cool. We don't get the deaths. We get the infections, yeah. but not the deaths. What he's basically telling you is as long as he's pursuing this strategy, you can't see your family. You can't be in society. You can't go back to your job. You can't do anything. It's a, so it, it you, you know, but can no, I, let me, no, can I, yeah, no wonder he's, he's losing with senior citizens, by the way. I mean, no wonder this right. is one of the major stories of the campaign. He's totally abandoning them. He's totally abandoning them. And yeah, he, so, but I wanted to say one other, one other thing about this. Uh, why does Trump behave this way? Because he got away with it for so long. He lied yeah. about lots of things. He lied about, you know, the size of his inaugural crowd, about whether he won the popular vote, but People didn't care about that, right? That's just academics, but journalists get pissed off about that. But when you are lying about something that is killing people every day and it's keeping people locked down every day, that hurts, right? That's that's and so I think what's basically happening is a persistent fault of Donald Trump, which is that he is a liar, has become an electoral disaster for him because the thing he's lying about is so deadly. Let, let's let's imagine all, an alternative history here where President Trump does not get away with everything, where he is called to account, where somebody um, does stand up and say, Mr. President, this is not this is not acceptable. You know, might we have avoided this or was this just baked in? It was Donald Trump destined to be Donald Trump. Were we always headed to this moment of nemesis? Yeah, well, I mean, at his age, right, uh, by the time he first ran for president, he was he was baked in. He was who he was going to be. And it was simply a matter of that it didn't cost him the 2016 election. So having gotten past that hurdle, um, it, it, there was really no other off-ramp until we, well, I guess, I suppose, look, they could have invoked the 25th Amendment. They weren't going to do that. They could have taken, you know, Mueller could have uh, given Bill, uh, Bill Barr a, um, mm-hmm. a, a report that, Barr couldn't have buried the way he did. Um, the impeachment was another off ramp, and no, you know, the Republicans just wouldn't take any of the off ramps. So they end up with this election. Now, what I would like to do on behalf of the United States of America for the health of our country is I would like for this to hurt them badly enough that they don't do it again, because we need a conservative party in this country. It needs to be a sane one. So they need to have get, got punished. What I'm afraid of, Charlie, is that getting that third Supreme Court seat. That tips the equation so that a lot of Republicans are going to say when this is over, uh, you know what? Yeah, he was awful in a lot of ways, but darn, we by by sticking with him, sticking with him through all four years, we got those three seats, and that was worth the whole thing. I I think you're right about that, and I I have heard that 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 is is their justification that okay we had to put up with a lot, but 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 those compromises are vindicated by the fact that now we have a Supreme Court justice for all of these years. I'm also noting that you know they're already beginning the pivot. The anti anti Trump folks are beginning the pivot, which is we're not even going to talk about Trump anymore. We'll talk about how terrible these Democrats are going to be. But also there's going to be a narrative if Trump goes down that. Well, it was because of the tweets. It was because of the coronavirus. This is not a defeat for the Republican Party. It's not a defeat for our conservative agenda. It's a defeat for Donald Trump personally. So I'm afraid that that you're right, that they will point to 
the, the Supreme Court seats as justification for their compromises. And then they will just basically say, yeah, the, the Trump tweets were, you know, defeated him. Um, but we don't need to really engage in deep introspection. We don't need to engage in a soul searching autopsy of where we went wrong. So even if unless it's a massive, massive blowout, I'm guessing that the Republican Party will continue on roughly on the trajectory that it's been on for the last few years. Yeah, and that's human nature, right? Human nature sure. is you're going to keep abusing whatever you're given as long as you don't face consequences. I mean, that was something that conservatives used to talk about was consequences. A lot. So uh, it, what, what's essentially happened is they haven't suffered enough. The 2018 election clearly wasn't enough. No. If in 2020 they lose a whole bunch of Senate seats uh, and they start suffering some policy setbacks and the court doesn't protect them, then you know that might be enough consequence. I keep thinking about I keep thinking back to that uh, autopsy from what the 2012 election, mm -hmm. which they ignored, right? And they went hard to the sort of white right, and they they squeaked out a non plurality win in the electoral college. Uh, if they take another beating and then another beating and another, they might go back to that recipe because they're going to need that, right? I mean, uh, people of my kids' generation are just not paying any attention to the Republican Party at this point, and. As those numbers start to build up, if they do, that the Republicans are facing a possible realignment against them, then they're going to have to retool. Uh, will they be able to shake it off? Honestly, Charlie, I think the answer is yes, or at least let's put it this way. the the What the Republicans have said about the Supreme Court makes me believe that they believe, congressional Republicans believe, they can drop Donald Trump after this election, turn around and pretend it never happened. Yeah. And the re I mean, the reason I believe that is because they sim simply have said during the confirmation hearings this year, uh, the confirmation debate, that everything they said four years ago is immaterial. And we're, even if it's on video, we're going to ignore it. And so I think they'll do the same thing with Trump. Well, the only problem that they'll have, though, is that the this this infrastructure, this media infrastructure that they have created, uh, which became an alternative reality silo, has gotten more intense. It's gotten more Trumpy. Um, it is possible to immerse yourself in in a in a world that is almost unrecognizable. So, for example, in this Wisconsin poll yesterday, something like eighty percent of Trump voters maybe over 80% of Trump voters are absolutely convinced that Donald Trump's going to be reelected next week. I mean, to, they, 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 they don't see it coming at, at all. So they are living in a very, very different world. So yes, there will be rational Republicans that will say, okay, we need to pivot. We need to, we need to move on. We need to pretend this never happened, but it's going to be different when you still have huge audiences who are following, you know, Seb Gorka and uh, Don Bangino and it was a Dan Bangino, whatever, Charlie Kirk, um, all of these folks that are still there. Uh, and and I, so it's going to it's going to be hard because the derangement is now really been imprinted on on the right. Now, there may be things that will be just so horrendous that will shake them, you know, you know, at least for for a moment if they were to lose. That's why I think it depends how Trump loses. If, if Trump loses, it's going to be bad. But if he loses Georgia and in Texas, that that's that is going to be that's an earthquake. What's what, what's what's one step up from an earthquake, uh, <laughs> earthquake? It's like the 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 plates, the tectonic plates will have shifted or something or. Right. An asteroid. Yeah, it's it, it, it's close to that, because that's basically the moment where you go. You know, the 2040 demographics, you know, disaster has hit. 
On the other hand, in for a lot of Republicans, they don't care about Democrats. Their whole focus is they live in solid red areas, solid red states, red districts, and they're just going to compete for who is the least rhinoist or whatever. Rhino-ish. Rhino, yeah. Sometimes I try to go back into history and look at, you know, there were 25% of the country that was with Nixon, even after he yeah. resigned. Um, I mean, you're always going to have some section of America that's that refuses to accept the way things are. Um, the question, it, it can't be 45, though, you know, uh, and if the more people we have inside the sort of Fox uh, universe of uh, self-contained falsehoods, um, the more dysfunction we're going to have in the country. It, I mean, it, it may be that we have to go through a period where Democrats control the Senate and just don't get Republican votes and pass a bunch of things. And eventually, eventually just the pain of being out of power forces the folks in the Fox universe to, to reconsider. Well, that's, that's true. You know, being, being out of power. I do think that this, this little episode with Hunter Biden and Bublinski might be a, a hopeful indicator of the future because there was that sense for a while that they were always be able to drive the agenda. And then no matter what bullshit they threw out, they could, they could make it, make it, uh, you know, the, the centerpiece of the national dialogue. And right now, what I think is driving them crazy is, is that they didn't get any, they didn't get any traction. And they do feel kind of irrelevant. It's almost like a foretaste of what it might be like where they're just sort of spinning their bullshit internally, but nobody else cares outside of their bubble. Um, the Bobolinsky thing, the the whole Hunter Biden laptop, not stuff, is it, it's basically Trump going back to his happy place, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. it, it's not because it's actually going to work. It's because it was what he was doing when he won. And so he's going to go back there. Honest, this is not a great scientist we're dealing with, Donald Trump. He just knows he did this and he won. So he's going to play it again. And he's he doesn't understand that the circumstances are different. He doesn't understand that the fact that there's a deadly virus and an economic uh, catastrophe going on is makes this look small. He also doesn't understand that, you know, the media aren't going to go along with it the way they did before. I mean, let's be honest. There are a lot of reporters who feel burned by having played up the Hillary Clinton emails oh, yeah. thing. And afterwards, it turned out it was a small potatoes compared to what Trump did. Even if you care about email security, Donald Trump and his people have been way worse than Hillary Clinton ever was, right? So the media just aren't going to bite on this again. And they're certainly not going to go hunt around. They're not going to report on your laptop if you won't let them check you know, the, yeah. the actual hardware and make sure this is a real thing. No, and and so and and I, and I think that that's that's the key point is that he doesn't understand that you can't keep doing the same stuff. What was it the other day? It was last night. I I saw that he was making fun of Evan McMullen's hair. Oh my god! I, I mean, okay, what? This is four years ago, or they're still talking about Hillary Clinton. It is playing your greatest hits. It is the sort of self care politics. Now, I was looking at the the last week, and you've you've been spending time watching these these rallies that. This has to feel like for a lot of Republicans, like the worst case scenario. Okay, they got some good economic numbers today, which will make them feel good temporarily. But to to be having this campaign, uh, these kinds of rallies, the rambling, incoherent rallies, the coronavirus exploding uh, with the, the kind of polls that are coming out right now. Um, but we, we haven't talked much about Joe Biden. Now I'm center right. You're, cent you're, you're center left. I, I have to say that I find it extraordinary 
and I'm, I don't mean this to sound as negative as it does. Okay, Joe Biden has never been a superstar. Joe Biden is a flawed a, a politician. He's kind of a blowhard, right? I mean, he's you know he's a he's a gaff machine, and yet right now he is poised to be like this hero of America because he is in exactly the right place at the right time. He's the man who meets the moment. I don't know whether he would have won four years ago, but it is interesting how he has aligned with the public mood in in a rather extraordinary way. I mean, Joe freaking Biden, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I am a hardcore Biden skeptic. I mean, Joe's okay. great. You know, Joe's a normal human being. He has morals. So that makes him better than Donald Trump right away. He's closer to my policy agenda than Donald Trump, you know, it, whatever. But let's be honest. Joe Biden is an accident. There's no particular reason why this guy was right for the moment. Uh, you know, it, the, after what we pundits tend to do is afterwards we're like, oh yes, everything was aligned, and you know, we we construct these elaborate theories. Most things in life are accidents. Most things in politics are accidents. This is definitely an accident. Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee for one reason and one reason only. And that is that Bernie Sanders did so well in the primaries that Bernie Sanders was going to be the nominee yeah. unless somebody stopped him. And by a month after, after four primaries, I believe it was, it had been established that only one of them could stop Bernie Sanders. And yeah. that person was Joe Biden. And therefore, all the other candidates folded into Joe. That's why Joe is standing here, not because he's the right man for the moment. He was there to stop Bernie Sanders. Having done that, he, he became the only alternative to Donald Trump. And people really want to get rid of Donald Trump. Enough, enough people want to. And therefore, you know, yeah, look, I give Joe Biden credit. He's not Bernie right? He's not hard left. Um, and he's also a very decent person. And people look at that and say, wouldn't that be refreshing after four years of Donald Trump? But it's not like there's something wonderful about Joe Biden. And if Joe Biden is the president, which I expect, it's not like he's going to be a wonderful president. He's just going to be normal. And we're going to be happy about that. Okay. But let me just push back just a little bit, because I, I actually think he's, he's run. He's, yes, he's very lucky. A lot of it's chance, but he's run a really smart campaign. I think for the, 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 the just noting that he's keeping such a low profile in the last couple of weeks, I know some people criticize him for it, and maybe it's because he doesn't have the stamina. I, I don't know, but it's brilliant in, 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 in execution because the focus is all on Donald Trump. This election had to be a referendum on Donald Trump, and it is turning out to be exactly that way. And Joe Biden has not made any mistakes. He's been very, very disciplined. I think the appeal he's making to sort of this sort of sense of character and, and decency is exactly the right thing to do at the moment here. So I think his campaign has been underrated. It was underrated in the primary and it's underrated now. But I, I don't disagree with a lot of that's why I think it's rather extraordinary that it happens to be Joe Biden. Um, who is in this moment because I'm, I'm, I'm watching, you know, people talk about, you know, their enthusiasm for all of this and how excited they're going to be about Joe Biden. Joe Biden's not Barack Obama. And yet there's going to be that kind of emotional response to his election. So I, you know, it's, yeah. and it's it, you know, um, look, I, I, as I said, I do disagree with me. I don't know that he would, I don't think he necessarily would have won four years ago. No, no. And, and, uh, you know, I, I would, the, all right, I'll say one negative thing and one affirmative thing to okay. what you said. Uh, the negative thing is um, 
uh, probably a lot of this, again, is a, an accident that has turned out to be helpful. Why is Joe Biden, why is he keeping a low profile? Number one, COVID, right? The guy's yeah. old, he will stay in the basement and he could stay in the basement. Everybody knew who he was. He didn't need to yeah. go out and introduce himself like someone like Pete Buttigieg would have had to do. Also, he probably, he is a gaffe machine. I mean, Biden, the more he talks, he says stuff. I believe Joe Biden is in cognitive decline. I believe that if you let him talk for a long time, you know, he's, he did well in the debates, mm -hmm. but if you let him go on the trail, he's going to say bad. And he has, he has said some dumb things, right? Um, so, but he, but he said dumb things when he was 30 years younger. Yeah. I think they were different dumb things. <laughs> okay. That's true. That's true. Okay. But I feel like this guy is, yeah, he's, he, he is losing it a little bit. He's not in Trump's level. I mean, he's much, way better no, than no. Trump, but, um, but so, so he didn't go on the trail. Um, I think they were right that it would do more harm than good. And I think they were right that Trump, if you let Trump talk, Trump will do more damage. Trump is the Democratic campaign, right? I mean, the, the worst thing that happened to Trump was he recovered from COVID well enough to get out on the trail and continue to alienate people. I was afraid he was going to like be sick. Uh, everyone was going to feel yeah. sympathy for him. And then yeah. he was going to stop talking. And if he stopped talking, people would stop hating him so much. Right. But he just kept talking. But the affirmative thing that I wanted to say is I do think Joe Biden uh, is very reassuring to a lot of uh, moderate Republicans and people in the middle of the country very who just wanted so. to, they wanted to vote against Donald Trump. They didn't want a, a left-wing crazy. They feel like they can work with Joe Biden. Joe Biden's moderate, sensible, and he's just not alienating people. And that allows them to vote for him. No, I think that's exactly right. And and, and I think he's played to that. I mean, he, you know, part of the discipline is that he has not allowed the Twitterverse to, you know, take him off, uh, off, off target. He seems to have had an idea that I want to run this way with this kind of a mood and, and he's done it. And as a, as a result, here we have, you know, every single day, Donald Trump out there flailing and, um, and, and, and by the way, and, Apparently, no, no one around Donald Trump telling him that uh, that every one of his rallies is a net negative for him at this point, which is extraordinary. Yeah. You know, that that that's that's where it gets to the fat Elvis thing that, you know, it's fat Elvis is out there and nobody wants to tell him that, you know, this is this is just not playing the way that you are hoping and thinking that it will do. OK, so Will. What are you what are you looking at? What else are you worried about? Uh, I'm, we're not going to dive into the the crazy stuff in the Supreme Court because we don't have time. Um, Brett Kavanaugh had an opinion the other day in the Wisconsin case that was apparently just riddled with bad law and erroneous facts. So that happened. Um, win for the Democrats in Pennsylvania, but you have three conservative justices that seem to imply that they would be willing to go back after the election to have a decision about whether to throw out thousands of ballots that might come in after election day. So, but, but it's been kind of a mixed bag so far. Yeah. Can't I, quite tell what's going to so happen here. I, I am not with my friends on the left about these judges. I am not terrified of the conservative judges. I'm I, the, the people who actually practice judicial restraint who say, you know, the judges who say, you know, look, we're not going to intervene in what the legislature decides to do, but we're also, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to, yeah, we're not going to impose some conservative idea of voting rights or lack of voting rights on the legislature. I'm okay with that. And I think the Supreme Court's decisions have been pretty consistent with that. I'm not afraid of them, these right-wing judges stealing the election. I mean, one of the greatest myths of the Trump era is Trump judges. There are no Trump judges. There are conservative judges who got onto a list from the Federalist Society and Donald Trump appointed them. Uh, so I'm just not afraid that these people are somehow personally loyal to Donald Trump. That I might be naive about that, but I think the record bears me out. And I think these rulings about voting rights are largely consistent with that.
Yeah, and they they seem to be somewhat restrained, and and they may seem inconsistent, but they uh, they seem the through line seems to be we're going to follow state law and we're going to defer to what the state authorities are going to think. But again, we we have uh we have a whole week to worry about that. We can get into that um, after next Tuesday. But right now, um, I started off by saying I was feeling a little bit jiggy. Um, I, 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 have been looking for all sorts of data points that, that point to the possibility that Trump could pull this out. I see Debbie Dingell, uh, gave an interview, a democratic congresswoman from Michigan who says, Hey, you know, a lot of these voters that I thought were going to go with Biden are going back to Trump and people are kind of freaking out about that. And, you know, we've had some concern about Republican registration and some, maybe some soft votes in Miami Dade, but overwhelmingly will the, the, the political universe is telling us in one voice that we're about to have a pretty big repudiation of Donald Trump next week. Do you disagree with that? No, I agree with it. And the single biggest, the, the, the single most important thing I would call attention to in terms of people who are afraid 2016 is going to happen all over again is don't focus so much on the margins, although Joe Biden's margins uh, over Trump in the key states are better than Hillary's margins. Look at where Joe Biden is in absolute numbers. He's often sitting yes. four or five or six points above where she was. Now, what I think that says is that Hillary Clinton had a ceiling. She had a ceiling. There were people just didn't like her, and at the end, there were a lot of people who were who just were not going to vote for her. Joe Biden is already well above that. To to win the election, Donald Trump can't just pick up undecided. He's got to take some of Joe Biden's vote away in state after state, and I just don't see that happening. No, and the other thing to look at is the fact that you look at these swing states and the way. Uh, Trump's numbers are like 44, 45, 44, 45. They just don't move. They just don't, don't go above that. So if you're going to get elected, uh, you're going to have to suppress the vote so that you can be elected president with 44, 45% of the vote. And I don't see that happening, particularly when you see Biden above 50% in state after state after state. So we'll see, uh, you know, but the people, I think that for this, uh, this, the psychological scars run very, 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 very deep. Um, and I think people will freak out if, say, Trump wins uh, Florida early on on Tuesday night. But, you know, you play around with that that electoral map and boy, it is awfully. Look, you'd much rather be Joe Biden than Donald Trump because it is awfully hard to get Donald Trump to 270 right now given what we are seeing. Will Salatin from uh, Slate Magazine, thank you once again for joining us. We appreciate it very much. Hey, it was a lot of fun, Charlie. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow. We will do this all over again. There are just five days to go.